Hello, I'm your host, Jim McLean. Welcome back to another episode of More Than Pixels on a Screen, a podcast brought to you by the Banderflix Movie Review website. As always, we will talk about this week's film in spoilerific detail. So if you haven't watched it, don't listen. Or maybe you're just a sociopath and you don't care. But either way, we are warning you right from the get-go, as always, we talk spoilers in this podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania. What a title that is. And joining me in this recording is local blogger James Oliver. Hi, Jim. We're also going to have a guest appearance by Aaron Flanagan from the Comic Book Guys. He's going to be giving us the Comic Book 101 on Kang the Conqueror. So you have that to look forward to. So without any further ado, let's play a clip of the film. You know, I promised your mom that you would only use this stuff when one of us was around. It's really dangerous tech. I know, it's dangerous. What if the cops took it from you? Huh? What if you lost it? I didn't lose the suit. You have a suit? Wait, you have a suit? I know how to take care of myself, okay? Trust me, I'm pretty good at it by now. Ouch. Look, I didn't mean it like that. I'm I know. sorry. That's okay. It's all right. I get it. I just think you should get to have a normal life. Dad, a guy dressed like a bee tried to kill me in my room when I was six. I've never had a normal life. How about some music? And in that moment, all I could think was, how did the Hulk turn me into a baby? Will I be a baby forever? Am I the Hulk's baby? Dad, are you listening to your own book? But I was ready for anything. Hmm? No, that's, uh, Steve this and I is the radio. <laughs> turn it it's off. It's so weird. Something's wrong with this switch. It won't turn off. I said turn it off. What's that? Turn it up? All right. A little after that, a raccoon from space showed up. I don't think he knew my name. I was just happy to meet a raccoon who could talk. So that's a clip of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. James, just before we start to record, how many holes have you got? <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's not really a question I'd like to answer. But <laughs> well, you see, that's an important part. A bit like Paul Rudd. I've definitely got seven. Yep. So I'm a bit worried if you don't have seven. <laughs> I think we could be kind of verging into inhuman territory, but let's not go there. So this film was out last week in the cinemas. You and I have both seen this. So generally, before we get into talking the specifics of the film, do you want to look back very quickly on phase four and kind of your general thoughts on how that's been? I know there's a lot of talk about how up and down the last phase. I hate always phrasing that, using that phrase. Uh, there's been a lot about talk about how uneven the last phase war. The last phase was we had stuff on the big screen and now we have stuff on the small screen as well. Are you beginning to suffer comic book fatigue? Um, Just a little bit, yeah. So phase four, it, in my opinion, I said this in a, a quick review I threw up last night, just that it's as though, you know, they're leaving breadcrumbs and then they started leaving whole pieces of bread and then eventually they ran out of bread. What I mean by that is that Phase 4 started developing some interesting plot points, some interesting side characters, new faces we'd never been introduced to before. And then it was just as like they forgot it all of a sudden. You know, it hasn't went anywhere. We're still waiting on, you know, things being tied up, which I get with Marvel isn't usually the case until a few films down the line. But in the case of Phase 4, nothing tied up apart from, well, the only real pairing you had was Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So yeah, that, but even that sort of ended on a cliffhanger as such. So yeah, and now we have this brand new phase with still a lot of you know unanswered questions to the phase before that. 
So, yeah, I'm starting to feel the effects, just a little bit of fatigue. That's okay. Welcome to the club. I've been talking about this. I have been dining out on that one article I wrote many years ago for (laughs) maybe five, six years now. I, like you, I'm a bit kind of underwhelmed by phase four. I think there was definitely some highs. One division. I I know it had its flaws, but I I did love Black Panther Wakanda forever. I think, like you've alluded to, there's been a lot of setup for things. There's a lot of ideas being floated about. I was reading an interview with Kevin Feige, kind of recently talking about how he he wanted this to be Phase Four to be very similar to Phase One, where it was about setting up characters and kind of opening out the universe more than kind of pushing it forward and I get that and we have now had the first I believe use of the term mutant so we know that is a clear breadcrumb from where they're going and we know with the Kang the Kang dynasty that we know is going to come when the next Avengers movie is out what in two three years yeah some, something like that something along that line so we know that they're going along that way phase five now kickstarts with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. How many times can I say the movie's title? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I am a fan of the Ant-Man movies. But I have a reservation about this movie because I've always loved the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man movies so far have been fairly, and I mean this with no pun intended, they've been fairly small in their scale. Yes, I did say that about Ant-Man. But, like, I look back to Ant-Man and the Wasp, which was just out after Avengers Infinity War. The big, big culmination of, what, 10 years of work by the MCU. And then we had this massive big event. And then afterwards, we had this wonderful, as I said at the time, little palate cleanser. This small little movie that was essentially about trying to find Michelle Pfeiffer's character in the quantum realm. And, of course, we had all the stuff with Ghost as well. I think that was what... 2018, I think that was out. I'm not quite certain. I think it was, yeah. So we had that, and the first Ant-Man is essentially, for a large part, for, a, for is essentially a heist movie. That's what it breaks down to. I know, kind of, you could say maybe Avengers Endgame is kind of a heist movie as well. But it was a heist movie, and I, I loved it. I mean, I know I'll always be the person who will always wanted to have seen the Edgar Wright version of Ant-Man. But there was enough... You mentioned that earlier. There was enough breadcrumbs. There was enough left from his script. Well, he got a credit uh, along with um, Joe Cornish for the first Ant Man. That I that I would say, well, okay, there's enough there. And Peyton Reed, who's the director, I think he's okay. Does a good job. I don't think he's amazing, but I think it's they've been solid movies so far. This is something different. This feels to me something akin to Iron Man Two, Captain America. Civil War. Well, that was the that was what I was sold going in that this is going to be the thing that is setting the clear trajectory of where we're going to go. And I know it does. I know we'll come to talk about the film itself because it's much more part of like an Avengers feel than an Ant Man movie. I think something has a little bit been lost. One key thing has been lost. I will come back to that. But generally, for you, have you been a fan of the Ant Man movies so far? Yeah, they're. <clears throat> They're like you say, they're small and you know they're entertaining, um, but they're very much self-contained, sort of to to a degree. You know, like they're not really dropping anything with regards to like the big picture in any way. Um, the only real sort of time it did that was when Ant Man appeared in a civil war and you know flew all the way to Germany to fight alongside Captain America. Uh, but besides that, you know, you haven't really seen him much. He was in, uh. 
both Infinity War and Endgame for like the big battle sequences, or was it just Endgame? I can't actually remember. It was. Uh, I'm trying to believe because I know in the post credits thing. It's only because I rewatched them in the run up to watching the third film. Yeah. It's the post credits thing. He's stuck in the quantum realm again, right, yeah. and that's why he's not clicked or whatever yeah. they want to call it. Everybody else is, and that's, of course, why we have a different actress now playing his daughter because, of yes. course, time has moved on. I don't think he's in... I can't remember him in Infinity War, but I know he definitely rocks up at the start of of Endgame because he's kind of at the scene. They're all in kind of in the... In the in the Avengers HQ, and yes. he's kind of at the security cam, going, going, "Hello, it's me. I'm I'm Ant Man. Oh yeah, yeah. I know Captain America, <laughs> but I can't think, I can't think off the top of my head if he's in Infinity War. I don't think he is, but I'm sure a listener, that one person, will email us in and tell us if we're wrong. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but yes, so you like me have kind of liked the fact that the Ant Man movies have been. They've been, I think Kevin Feige's talked about this before, they've been geared towards younger audiences yeah. as opposed to some of the more, I don't want to say adult, but some of the darker stuff that we see in the MCU, even though it's not really, it's it's about as dark as I am mature, but they've always been kind of aimed at younger audiences. And I've liked that. I mean, they're kind of, we talk about this with Disney, they're gateway drugs. So they're gateway drugs into the Marvel Cinematic Universe where you can take a younger viewer and say, right, okay. Ant-Man, it's a nice little starting point. Let's move on. Let's not go and throw you straight into something like Civil War or Infinity War or Endgame. Let's not throw into Black uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, so you'll be an emotional mess like I was at the end of that film, but I've liked that. Uh, I know we haven't really got into reviews. I think something has been lost in this film. But that's my humble opinion. We will come back to this. And I know at a certain point we will have to talk about Kang the Conqueror and his future within the MCU. But generally, what's your thoughts on this film? I enjoyed it. Yeah, we uh, group of us went to see it last night. Yeah, very very enjoyable. Um, better than I was anticipating it to be. Um, it's just, you know, it just has like a lot of action in it. Uh, it has some pretty good comedy moments as well. And even though we all knew that Kang the Conqueror will be the new, well, the next Thanos, essentially, going forward in the MCU. It's, like, so that wasn't really anything new, but it's nice to see that, you know, they're finally, like, we're getting to see him. You know, they're finally starting to set him up and be like, here's what he is, and here's what he's capable of, and, you know, run. <laughs> I I wish I, you're probably going to be more positive than I am. I, I'm going to say it differently. It wasn't as bad as what I thought it might have been. I was predicting this would be something akin to Iron Man 2, where it's too busy. Coming back to your analogy about breadcrumbs, it's too focused on trying to expand everything else and expand the MCU and give a clear path of where they're going to go. I wasn't expect. I, 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 that's what I was expecting. That was what I was, I was worried about. Thankfully, we didn't get that with this film. I just think it's a very generic blockbuster. There's none of the charm of the, the previous Ant-Man movies. What it misses, I'm going to say it right from the get-go, Michael Pena and his stories. Those are some of the best moments in the first two movies. And that kind of like we have him telling the stories of like, and then and then she said, and then I said, and blah, blah, blah. I can't say it because I'm not Michael Pena. And he's nowhere to be seen. But I get if you have him in, 
you're probably going to be padding it out even more. I think the likes of I think it's still I think it still kind of struggles with the problem. It's an Ant Man movie more than an Ant Man and the Wasp movie, but I think it's more of an ensemble than what we've seen in the previous film. I think much more much more of the cast are given more to do. Maybe the exception of Michael Douglas. Although I was listening to Simon Mayo interviewing Michael Douglas, who picked up a great line I didn't even think of, where he's championing socialism amongst ants. And of course, this is Gordon Gecko from Wall Street, who told us that greed is good. So that was a nice little line. I watched this earlier in the week. And I don't know about you, I just find there's nothing, I know we'll talk about Kang, but there was nothing special about, there's no charm to it. It was just a very generic blockbuster. But you, I think, disagree. Ever wondered what it takes to make it in the movie business? Peel back the curtain with 4-6 Success Filmmaking. 4-6 Success Filmmaking is where filmmakers share their stories and the secrets. It's beyond competitive out there. There have been movies that it's taken me 10 years to get made. Don't wait to create. Like, you've got to just keep making stuff. Tune in to 4-6 Success Filmmaking for your dose of cinematic realness, direct from the voices that have lived it. Well, I mean, I, I can see your point and where you're coming from on that, but yeah, I would disagree a little bit. Yeah, um, like I say, you know, I just find it just really enjoyable, and considering the absolute crap that was Phase Four, you know, it it was nice to see something that was kind of refreshing, and you know, they went to an entirely different realm, um, of possibility, which we'll get into in a moment. But yeah, I I enjoyed it more than what I was expecting to and so for me that's a that's a win and I'm happy enough with that so I mean one thing I did want to say I mean this is this you you mentioned Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness this is the second time if you exclude Loki and I know that we've had Jonathan Majors well he's not well he is Kang this is where you kind of get into the whole kind of complicated nature of that comic book character that I'm sure Aaron will kind of hopefully Give me everything I need to know, but he's he wasn't kind in that at the in the apologies he haven't seen Loki, but um, he's he that remains I think in the end of the first season of Loki, which kind of sets up the kind of concept for the multiverse, and then we have now this is Kang the Conqueror, and well we always keep the kind of post we always keep the post credit spoilers to the post credits of this podcast, but. There's more than one Kang, and I think that's a fairly kind of simple... I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's set up in Loki as well. But it's been another one of the Marvel movies, the second, as I've said, that has tried to really explore this kind of outlandish kind of concept to an extent of how far you can go. This time, rather than the multiversal, it's mentioned. It's all about what can happen in the quantum realm, and then we have... What is it they have? What is it they call it? The para... Oh, paradox there's the whole section about kind of it's great doctor it's very doctor who very hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy there's a paradoxy yeah. thing it's a bit you know what to go full doctor who it's a bit timey-wimey and we see them kind of that's why we see spoiler in the, the trailer lots of ant-men and one quite funny ant-man but we'll come back to that <laughs> i just think it's 
I wish that Marvel would go full hilt and embrace the the madness, the lunacy of the concept. It just feels like they're dipping their toe. I didn't like Doctor Strange in the multiverse. It felt more, it felt like Sam Raimi was shackled on that film and we didn't see enough of him coming through. There's little bits in that film that came through that we say, oh, that's Sam Raimi. Like the, the music battle is pure Sam Raimi. But here, and maybe I'm going to come back to it, maybe Peyton Reed is not the right director. I know it's nice to see, I mean, one director tackling a complete trilogy, whether or not he'll do a fourth Ant-Man. I don't know if one's been greenlit already or not. I think the only other person that has done, well, I know the we have the Russos, but um, I suppose with James Gunn, with the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which, I mean, the trailer for that played before this, and I'm very excited about that because I do love the Guardians of the Galaxy. Adam Neeson, if you're listening, you've got me on board, bro. But I don't know. I just find that it was... It never really dipped its toe in the sheer madness and possibilities that you could do. But I'll also say this, I think it's confined, and I think this is a problem for the film for me, is that it's confined to a two-hour runtime and everything feels very rushed. I think that if they were to explore it more, then it might become too kind of, you know, like unfathomable for some people. Like, for example, so like if you're you know, like a hardcore veteran MCU fan, like myself, and you've seen every single film up until now, like myself, then you can't, you know, you're, I think you'd be happy enough just that we've now got this sort of different realm that they're in and it explores sort of different concepts about, <clears throat> pardon me, the, uh, like, you know, the multiverse or the quantum realm or like different timelines and all that. I think if you were to go to full tilt with it, then it might become a little bit too confusing because I haven't watched all the TV shows. I've watched most of them, but I haven't watched all of them. And so when there's little subtle references made to them that even I don't get, and I'm like, oh, I was like, where'd that come from? And then I have to be, like, be told either by my girlfriend or someone else. And I'm like, oh, right, okay. So I think that I can appreciate it being a bit more confined as opposed to being full-blown out there because you have still a lot of pieces to try and, you know, fit or make fit in this puzzle that we're getting so far. That's the kind of what it's been so far for me. It's just been a big puzzle now with Phase 4 and now going into Phase 5 because we're exploring that kind of, you know, outside space and time and everything that can happen in between that. So I'm okay with it being a bit confined. I'm okay with it just kind of being, here it is, and then we can move on. Okay. I mean, it, it, as I say, it's this is kind of a balanced discussion. I mean, will we always kind of judge this podcast as the post-pub discussion on the movie? And that's kind of the way we go. I know where you're coming from. I see that. I just kind of sense in my heart of hearts, these concepts now that mean the quantum realm is not new. We've had that since Ant-Man. The multiverse isn't really that new anymore. We've had that now, been discussed for a while in phase four. I just think I wish they could do more with it. And I, and it's not that I'm comparing the films, but I look at, like, with, with Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness, and then we see everything everywhere all at once, which is a film I adored, which just kind of embraced the sheer madness and the possibilities. I know we're going to be having Aaron on shortly, but Aaron and I used to talk about, you know, oh, the multiverse is, is great for an idea because why is, you know, why is Iron Man a duck multiverse? 
why is Captain America suddenly now a villain? I know that happens in the comics as well, but it's not because of the multiverse. Ah, uh, because of the multiverse. Anything can happen. And I don't know, I just feel it's just... For me, my, my issue with this film is that I think one of two things. I think they've lost the magic of the Ant-Man character. They've tried to do and, and create something that is going to steady the ship and give us, right, this is clearly where we are going. And, we, and this is also a problem of sorts. We know now in this digital realm, this digital era of, of all the movies that are com coming down the line. So we already know there's going to be an Avengers movie. Well, there's two more coming up. Kang Dynasty is the next one, and then I forget what the last one is. I always forget the names. It's too confused. That's going to be Phase 6. I just think, ultimately, you could have done something quite edgy with this. We're, I know we're talking spoilers. I think by the end, it's like and everybody went, well, other than one person, but we'll talk about that later. Everybody went home happy in the end. Yeah, I feel like I've... <laughs> Yeah, well, because we're talking spoilers, um, why not? I think I would have almost been sort of happier if one of them had have died. So I would like, and you get to that end part, and it kind of does this really, you know, kind of tried and tested Marvel like theory of, oh, is it gonna happen? Oh no, it's not. Now we're just kidding. It's like we're not gonna kill off that main character or someone they love, and it's like, how many times have they done that? But yet I still sort of bought into it for a minute when he pushes Cassie back through the the portal to go home and then Kine sort of shoots him out the way and they have one more final face-off. And in that moment, I truly felt that I was like, yeah, they're actually going to do this. And Yeah, let's be honest, Paul Rudd was getting his arse kicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what I kind of find like more sort of intimidating from Kine is that well, his sheer presence, which we'll get into, is just Jonathan Majors was incredible. But with Thanos, you know, Thanos is this big, mad titan. He's, you know, he's physically stronger and he's taller. And, he, you know, well, obviously he's an alien, so kind of has that on his side. But, well, kind he's sort of human, but not really. But, you know, he has, he doesn't have all that going for him. He's just kind of normal sort of stature of a man. And he absolutely beats seven shades of <laughs> shite we can swear <laughs> yeah of, out of paul rod and uh like kind of throughout the film like the film's closing moments and he just doesn't stand a chance and it, you know he's trying to fight back but realistically you know kind of just like you're a man who plays with ants <laughs> it's like i am going to ruin you <laughs> well it's true i mean there is a brilliant line and it's in the trailer i believe so it's not really spoilers unless you're just staying away from the trailers which is often a safe bet i think I haven't really found it with the Marvel movies. They've been quite good at kind of clouding things. Uh, other films, Jurassic World, will just give you plot by plot. This is what happens, then that happens. Come and see the full thing. Come and see the boring stuff in between. But there's a great line, I think he says, when they first meet, he's like, have I killed you before? Yeah. Have I killed you before? Are you the one with the hammer? Are you the one with the shield? And it's just like, yeah, he's he's been about. And I know there's... I know there is theories, and I mean it's internet theories, that I don't I don't really know if the film does enough to dispel them, or maybe I haven't read it correctly, but it's that sense of where this film was, was going to be placed within the Phase 5, and whether it was going to be setting up, kind of feeding directly into the events of Kang Dynasty. There's things I like about his characters, and also things I don't mean. Thanos was quite simple and straightforward in what he was trying to do. 
he wanted to wipe out half the world population. Basically, as I've said before, he was a genocidal Bono. Basically, Bono wanted to cut out world. Bono wants to cut out world hunger by saving everybody. Thanos is the same idea, same same goal, but he's like, right, the the solution is simple: get rid of half the universe, and people ain't going to be hungry. His motivation was clear, and it was this sense that he didn't really want to do what he had to do, but he felt he was the only one strong enough to ultimately do that, to to click those fingers and wipe the population, half the population of the universe out. It's a much more, for me anyway, interesting villain than some of the villains we've had before in the MCU. I think I think I've said this before. My favorite villain so far has probably been someone like Michael Keaton in Homecoming, because he's not out to he's not out to to conquer the world. He's not out to kind of take anyone down. He's literally just trying to make ends meet and and make money to bring it home to his house. He's he's in a more interesting villain than when I know the Thor movies like I'm trying to think is it the Christian, uh, Christopher Eccleston's villain and is it uh, Dark World Dark World I mean there are some that say oh, okay you're just you mean you conquer the world what do you do the next day I have that kind of problem with Kang but what does away with that or dispels that is Jonathan Major's performance in the sense that he has as you've alluded to James he has got presence He's got a charisma to him, and it's that sense that he goes from being softly spoken to just. And I love his voice. I mean, I do love John. I mean, I've. He's in Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, which I loved. Sadly, didn't get a second season, but he's such a softly spoken actor, and you, you can see already. I mean, I know we're, we have seen multiple variants of Kang. He he does seem to be giving them at least a little bit of individuality, which is a good thing. I just don't know if his motivation is ultimately going to interest me in the same way that Thanos did. I don't know. But look, we've talked a wee bit and we've started to talk about Kang. So I think at this point we will feed in to Aaron Flanagan from the comic book guys, who's going to give us the 101 on everything we need to know about this new film. You're an interesting man. Scott Lang. Um, I don't know who you are, but you've made a big mistake. Um, I don't know who you are, but you've made a big mistake. Okay? I'm an Avenger. I've called the other Avengers. You're an Avenger. Have I killed you before? (laughs) What? They all blur together after a while. You're not the one with the hammer. It's Thor. We get confused a lot. Similar body types. Who are you? Just a man who's lost a lot of time. Like you. But we can help each other with that. Hi everyone, Arm from Comic Book Guys here. And today we're going to do a Comic Book 101 on Kang. So Kang on the big screen really has made people interested into his comic book origins, where he came from, who he is, what his special abilities are, and really where they can get more information on him. Now, obviously, he's made appearances in animated TV. He's made appearances in video games over the years. However, he's made his film debut in the MCU's most recent entry, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumedia, played by the superbly talented Jonathan Majors. This version of Kang is a multiversal traveler from the future who's conquered many worlds, killed Avengers and other heroes. 
and he was exiled by the Council of Kangs of the Quantum Realm for attempting to take over the multiverse, which is dying in his eyes because of all the variants. Now, Jonathan Majors is, is set to reprise his role for Avengers the Kang Dynasty, which is due out in a couple of years' time, and then again in Secret Wars. So clearly they're putting a lot of weight behind Kang as a as a supervillain, really. Now, you might ask, well, it's class, he's really good as a villain in the films, but where is his comic book origin? Well, to be honest, Kang has been known in the comics by many names over the years, from Ramatut, Immortus, Victor Timely, Iron Lad, the Scarlet Centurion, and that's only to name a few. However, he first appeared in the comics as Ramatut in Fantastic Four 19 in 1963. It wasn't until nearly a year later, 1964, in Avengers 8, that we get the first look and first appearance of Kang as we know him today. Essentially, he's an immortal being who can travel through time or space, through dimensional realities, and he's one of the greatest threats and biggest supervillains in the Marvel history. So think Thanos, think Galactus. He wants nothing more than to rule over time and space, and he's willing to alter any timeline, including his own, to get what he wants. Whatever form he takes, whatever version of him is terrorizing the world, he's pretty much crossed paths with every Marvel superhero at some point or time. Though it's often down to the Avengers or Fantastic Four to repel this evil time traveler. Pretty much like any new Marvel character created in the 60s and 70s, Kang was created by the legendary creative team of two big comic book powerhouses in Stan Man Lee and Jack King Kirby. But before Kang was Kang, he was a character called Nathaniel Richards, who was a sort of a, a very clever scholar from around the 30th century. And it's mentioned that he's quite possibly a descendant of Reed Richards, time-traveling father. Um, he was fascinated with history. He ended up mastering time-traveling technology. He even recreated Dr. Doom's time machine, at which point he decided to travel back to ancient Egypt in a spaceship that looked like a sphinx, calling himself, as I said, the Pharaoh Ram Ramatut. He did all of this, though, in order to try and capture the X-Men mutant apocalypse, but he was defeated by the Fantastic Four, and it was at this point that, as he was leaving the Sphinx behind, um, he, he actually said that he was leaving it for centuries to come where nobody would remember who he was, and it's actually how Marvel explain off in their universe where Sphinxes actually come from. Um, and then, obviously, later down the line in Fantastic Four Annual 2, Ramatut meets with Doctor Doom and thinks that he's a descendant, so much so that Doctor Doom actually helps Nathaniel develop a super armor based on Doom, and he calls himself the Scarlet Centurion. But again, this didn't go so well either. He's defeated by the Avengers this time, and he reverts back to Ramatut. But as he gets back to his own timeline, a, a time storm causes a, a rift in the force and thrusts him into, it's like a war-torn 40th century. But it's here he figures out that he has a chance to reinvent himself really take advantage of the situation and he gets the persona that we all know him as today of Kang. And it's really pretty much at this point, he starts to conquer worlds, expand his domination throughout the galaxy. So enter Kang the Conqueror. That's where the name sort of comes from. Now, in terms of Kang as a as a character of what, what you know, his powers, his abilities, it might be a shock to you, but he actually has no superhuman abilities. As a person, Kang doesn't have any of those. He, He's an absolute genius. He's one of the smartest minds in the Marvel Universe. He's a master technician, a master engineer. But it's his advanced armor and technology that grant them a lot of power. Think of him like a, a time-traveling Iron Man. He's armed with 40th century technology. 
and he's got battle armor that not only grants him super strength, but also allows him to fire energy blasts, create holograms, manipulate other forms of technology. And obviously, he has the, the power to travel through time. Now, he's usually defeated in the comics through trickery or ingenuity rather than just brute force and ignorance. Those methods don't tend to work with him because obviously he's seen a lot. He's been through a lot. He knows what's coming a lot of times. Um, and Kang usually causes widespread destruction on when he's conquering paths. So the the any hero that usually defeats him has to figure out a way to send him into the time stream to get him to get rid of him really. So because of all of those things, obviously it makes sense that Kang will have appeared in a lot of comic books in a lot of different forms as a lot of different people. But because of that, you know, I'll touch on a few recommended reads and key stories in terms of value, but also in terms of relevance and significance of interest and stories that I have enjoyed um, and that you'll be able to pick up in comic book guys, obviously. Um, the one recently that's very accessible in my eyes is um, a story that came out in 2021, so just a couple of years ago. Uh, it was just called Kang the Conqueror. It was a five-part miniseries by Colin Kelly and Jason Lanzig, and the art was phenomenal. It was Carlos Magno and... Every cover was done by Mike Del Mundo, and the covers are extraordinary. They really do paint Kang as this supervillain, but who has a lot of depth as a character. Now, the, the comic itself really does focus on his origin. As I said, you, you know, it's touched on so many different parts of the Marvel Universe that this comic follows the many lives across the many years. You know, from him being a pharaoh to a villain a warlord of the spaceways and on rare, rare occasions you know he is a hero and across all of those timelines there's one thing that's always absolute that time means nothing to Kang but the truth is Kang is a much more complex and deep character and this miniseries follows that so you know if you are looking to get a little bit more information into who Kang is um, before you either watch Ant-Man or just really to give it a, a better overview that's a good place to jump in because it does touch on things like over the years throughout the comics, you know, he has had a great love affair with Ravona Renslayer. And, you know, there's quite a, a lot of sadness in, in some of those stories as well. Um, and that's to say it's a very accessible story to read. It's one that we have in store and it's one that I would recommend. Um, there's other comic books that have a lot of value now because of, of Kang. You know, issues like Avengers issue 267. It's the first time that we get to see the team appearance of the Council of Kangs. And it's the first appearance and death of a Kang variant that was killed, um, that killed the Avengers in an alternative timeline. So, you know, books like that, that before any mention of Kang were maybe a, you know, a seven or eight pound issue are now a 40 or 50 pound issue. So there's books like that that are, have become very interesting because of that. Obviously, some of the other big books that we touched on earlier, like Avengers 8, the first appearance of Kang. You know, that book is a, a huge behemoth of a book. It's a book that, again, we have it in store if you want to come in and have a look at it. Um, it's a book that can go anywhere between, you know, £300, £400 in pretty low condition, right up to four or £5,000 easily uh, in good condition. So there's books like that that if you have them in your collection, I would say now is the time to, de you know, to, to hook them out. Um, and even, as I say, characters that that Kang is, or variants of Kang, such as Immortus and, and Ramatut, all those first appearances from Avengers 10, Fantastic Four 19, they're all big books now. Uh, and as I say, with when you look at the Marvel MCU and you look at what they've done with Thanos and the gradual build, I do believe that that's the route that they're going down with Kang. So, you know, as I say, I think this Ant-Man and Quantumania will be a, 
a great first look at the Kang moving at the, this version of Kang moving forward. I know we've already seen him in, in Loki, but um, as I say, I'm really, really excited to see what they do with him. He is a character in the comic books that I have a lot of love for. He's a character that I think Jonathan Majors on, on the big screen portrays extremely well. And he's a character that has so much jeopardy attached to him that I think he is going to be a real big coup moving forward for the MCU. So that's Aaron. Hopefully that has uh, filled you in everything you need to know about Kang. Maybe you've learned something, James. I don't know. You know, you're, you're, you know what you're saying. I mean, you're a fan of the MCU movies. You've mean seen most of them. I mean, are you a fan of the comic books? As big of a fan of the comic books, do you come into this with prior knowledge of Kang the Conqueror? Uh, no. So, like, there's there's one thing that I... Only one thing that I knew about Kang was that at some point across space and time, or outside space and time, one of his variants was actually King Tut, or one of the pharaohs, anyway, of ancient Egypt. And so that's the only kind of thing I knew about him. I didn't have any prior knowledge of him coming into this, except for that. And I kind of I kind of like... That though, just going on what Aaron was saying and telling us all about him, that he's, you know, this just shows you how long this being has been in existence for, you know, and it's referenced in the film, like you said, you know, oh, have I killed you before? Like, which one are you? You know, and it's, you know, and he says, oh, they all just kind of blur together after a while. So it's like, right, so he's clearly killed the Avengers probably on more than one occasion, you know, multiple times. And, yeah, that's kind of what I... You were saying you don't think, or you personally don't think that his end goal would be interesting for you enough to kind of watch. I would say that for me, I kind of love the fact more that he doesn't ultimately have a plan except just to win. Like, he's here just to mess shit up. Yeah, but what do you do when you've won? That's my point. I mean, you, you sit in the throne with every other multiverse essentially done and dusted. You've destroyed all alter, 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 other alternative universes as I say, you, 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 you do that on a Monday. What do you do Tuesday? <laughs> By Wednesday or Thursday, you are bored shitless. That that's my thing. Is that that sense? Is, it's always been a problem for me with with those type of villains. Motivate. It's like Bond villains. Like, well, can you do this? What do you do the day after? Do you go play badminton? Do you go play squash? What do you do? And I I like the fact that they address that problem with Thanos in that sense that he he did what he did and then afterwards you see him literally going off to be a farmer and that sense I mean it's it, I know it's funny but it's that sense of right he he has to live with the burden of what he did as as I've said before he didn't essentially want to do what he did but he just felt he was the only one yet he's the mad titan he was the only one who he felt was strong enough had the will to do what needed to be done. He never never essentially wanted And that's why I think Kang is a very different villain. So it's a good thing for... I mean, they've definitely got it the right way round, I think, had we had Kang first. I, I think there'd probably been too much to go on to throw everything all in. The multiverse concept, I think people's head might, heads might have exploded. But I think Thanos was a much simpler villain to work in a cinematic universe. And coming back to what you said before, you don't have to watch everything. I think with Kang now and this multiverse concept and the fact we're going to see multiple variants of him, I think it means 
you become much more obliged to say, well, I know we're not going to talk about the post-credits, just the post-credits of this pod, but we see him clearly setting up the events of Loki. And we, we've already seen him in Loki, and we'll probably see him in other... I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that Guardians 3 is going to be much more self-contained. It looks that way from the podcast, or it looks that way from the trailer. But who knows? Could we see maybe in a post-credits thing popping up there? We've got a few more coming. I think I read earlier this week that uh, the Marvel has now been delayed. It's not going to be out until November. Whether or not that will explore Kang, I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. But uh, I don't know. I mean, what is it about him that you think means, and it's not that that sense of a perfect villain for right now, but what about him really interests you as a concept? He just, kind to me, what really interests me about him is that, you know, he doesn't, so when you look at Thanos, and I know we're making a lot of comparisons, but that's because this is kind of the next big bad that will kind of reign over, you know, an entire phase or several, for all we know. Well, five um, and six. Well, yeah, so two for definite. Um, and then I think there was rumours after that it might be Galactus, which I think is just being a bit too over the top, given Galactus is the actual size of, like, <laughs> the universe. Like, I don't know how you can make a film about that. Um, but I love High Ride. So we've talked about Thanos' whole ideology, like, right, you know, we're going to wipe out half the population of the entire universe, and I need six stones to do it. Kind doesn't need stones. Kind doesn't need anything. Well, he's got the stones to get them. He's got the st- he's he's got stones, <laughs> but we'll not go there. That's me being very childish as a forty-year-old. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Kind doesn't need you know technology. He doesn't need stones. He doesn't need anything. Kind just has all this at his disposal. He built himself an entire empire within the quantum realm, being trapped there for so many years or decades. You know, he is just this formidable foe that can just do what he wants when he wants he can you know uh, that scene where he's chatting with michelle pfeiffer and she's like you know what did you do and he was like oh you know like a child you know like i broke time and basically you know it's kind of like why though it's like oh you know because i wanted to you know so many hundreds of thousands of variants or how many of them exists just did their own thing and we kind of see that's very subtly mentioned in at, like towards the end of endgame when we find out that uh Captain America sort of broke off and stemmed the timeline to be with Peggy and that, you know, that whole thing. Um, But that that's the thing in this film. You see how many kind of stem timelines kind of just went and disrupted and because of that is killed millions, billions, trillions of people. But he just, he just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> the guy's just like, yeah, came in, did this, cool. Why? Oh, you know, I just felt like it. So I know like you were saying, you know, you conquer the world today, what are you going to do tomorrow? But I think my main... Like he's gonna sit in this floaty weird orby throne, throne thing, yeah. yeah. And he's just like, cool, done it, been there, wiped us all out, and I'll keep wiping us all out, and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, really. And I think that's more, I think that's more menacing to be a Marvel villain. Like essentially, I think that's a wee bit darker than Thanos, just my personal opinion, because there is no real set motive for him. He's just like, I just love pain and death and destruction, and. Ta-da. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Some people just want to watch the world burn. Exactly. That's the way. But look, you mentioned her, and we have got this far by not talking about Michelle Pfeiffer's character, uh, Janet. I think she, well, she was very much kind of 
a part of Ant-Man and the Wasp, but she was much like the it was the the, the film was essentially to find her in the quantum realm in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Now we given her we see her given much more to do. My God, she kicks some ass. I mean, she. I I think I will say this. I think I mentioned earlier on. I felt that Ant-Man and the Wasp was much more of an Ant-Man movie that just happened to feature the Wasp. I do think it still is essentially an Ant-Man movie, but they do to an extent address that balance we have hope evangeline lily's character and michelle pfeiffer's character given much more to do than we've seen before michael douglas's character yes i've mentioned jokingly he does have that line about socialism amongst ants and he loves his aunts god bless him but uh, hank he loves his aunts a lot he's probably and maybe that's just kind of the age of the actor and just the age of the character as well. I mean, he isn't given as much to do, but he has, he does as much as he can with the limited screen time he has. But Michelle Pfeiffer, how did you find her? I mean, I thought she was absolutely fab. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer is just a kick-ass woman, isn't she? <laughs> you know, this is the this is the you know the actress who can still whip off heads of mannequins. You know, <laughs> like with her whip that she still has from Batman Returns. <laughs> you know. Like, I just love that woman. So The, the one thing is, I was kind of struggling to, because I know I've had the issues before with digital de-aging. I'm wondering, what did they digitally de-age her? I, yeah, I was kind of sitting there thinking that myself, because I, not so much with her. But when you look at Michael Douglas, he did a recent interview, and then you look at him in the film, I was like, hmm. I don't think he was de-aged in the movie. This time round, I I know an Ant Man and Ant Man and an Ant Man and the Wasp. They are both clearly digitally de-aged, yeah. and it's always my always problem is it's the mouths. <laughs> Everything else is fine if you could just get the actors stand there and just look, hmm, and just look around. Never have a problem. It's the moment they open their mouths and you go, oh no, it's weird. It's the uncanny valley. It doesn't work. It has come a long way from where we've seen it before. Uh, you know, we all think and remember Jeff Bridges in um, Tron. That didn't really work. But hey, let's not go down that thread. It's come a long way. I know we're going to have Harrison Ford later this year digitally de-aged as indie for, I think, the opening sequence anyway. I don't know whether she was digitally de-aged. I'm not talking to an extent in the sequences in the quantum realm with Ant-Man and um, Hope. With, well, sorry, with Scott and Hope, but there's the sequences, the backflashes with um, when she first encounters Kang. I, I, I don't know if she was digitally DH. Right? If, if, if she has, it just shows you how far that technology is coming. For yeah. me, anyway. Yeah, no, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, yeah, I did think about. It. I don't. I don't think they did. I, I don't know. Like just thinking back to it, you know, I, I don't think they did. Maybe of a lighter hair color or something but like i i honestly don't think they did because those scenes are very quite you know it's at the very opening of the film and then next scene it's like her and they're having a meal in the house and stuff yeah because I, I think she's she's in the quantum realm for what 30 years yeah 30 years yeah and then but time doesn't work the same down there yeah as it does on earth I, I will say this and i was going to say this earlier on but i do have we were talking about kind of movie tropes and things that I don't like in cinema. It's that this film is guilty of one of the biggest cinematic sins for me. It's that sense of retconning to suit the narrative. And it's like, yeah, in the first, in the previous film, she was seeing her from the quantum realm. Everything was rosy. And now it's like, 
yeah, I don't, I don't really talk about what happened in the quantum realm. It's like, all right, okay, why? It's like, because there was this guy and he was a conqueror. He may or may or not have at certain times been blue, but uh, he was a pretty big bad and we shouldn't go back down there. And like, all right, okay. And I know, I can know you can get this. It's like, oh, I didn't really want to talk about this, that, and other, but it's like, if you know that, well, she's not really her granddaughter, but Scott's daughter is working on a machine or device that can go to, can ma- essentially map the quantum realm. I think, it, is it just her and Hank and Hope are working on it? Yeah. It must be because in that sense, because as soon as she becomes aware of it, she's like, oh, no, no, that's a, that's a really bad idea. That's, you shouldn't do that. Kang's down there. And you're like, oh, I, I don't know, does that... Is that something? Is that a thing in cinema that annoys you? I mean, retconning essentially to, and it happens so many times. Like the Fast and Furious franchise is just something that sticks to mind. It's like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to retcon that. Remember that character that died? They didn't really die. <laughs> they didn't die. They just thought they did. They had amnesia. They forgot about your everybody and everybody for like a couple of years. But now you know, they see the power of family, and they're back together. Now, here we have Kang essentially being introduced into the well Kang the Conqueror essentially being introduced to the MCU and it features heavily a bit of retconning by the writers to say that Janet has encountered him previously yeah um I kind of got that immediately from the trailer um I remember seeing it and it's the part in the trailer where it's just like oh yeah there's something I never told you and I was like what do you see I was like she's already met Kang and she's either been friends with him, slept with him, something to do with like something like that. And I was like, and I think Janet, I think Janet got around when she was in the quantum realm. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I don't want to throw shade, but you know, uh, we do have. He's in the trailer, so we have Bill Murray's character. Yeah, and it, there is a great joke where they kind of talk about, well, it was thirty years I had needs. Yeah, and then I love, I just love. Mean, I, I, I am a massive fan of Michael Douglas. Yeah, as just someone as a as an actor over the years, he's been in so many great roles. He's produced so many films as well behind the scenes but in that sense with him it's like i had needs too i went on a couple of dates but they weren't you baby <laughs> it's like it's her like, name is linda <laughs> yeah also i misinterpreted that line the first time michelle pfeiffer said it instead of saying i have needs i thought she said i have knees and i was like whoa i was like that's just what really sort of like 15 rated for a marvel film jesus well, it's like there's some kids in the audience here being like maybe she's just mean? being really proud that she had knees <laughs> I mean why are you going to that instantaneously James it says more about you than anything else you're the person who got very bashful and turned bright red when I said how many holes have you got <laughs> and now here you are kind of going going Jesus she's sitting there like talking about getting on her knees I mean uh, MCU's come a long way hey <laughs> Look, let's be honest. I probably wasn't the only one that misinterpreted that, right? I don't know, I, listeners. I, I if, don't know. <laughs> listeners, have you heard in this film, Janet? If you're one of the other people, you want to join the James Club. And at this point, I will clearly say, my name is Jim. It is Jim. <laughs> if you want to join the James Club and thought that in Ant Man and the Wasp, at a pivot, well, not really a pivotal moment, in a key scene in the film, Janet is fixing a bit of equipment and she turns to her husband and her daughter and said, "I had, I have knees." And well, not even I have knees and thought that that's what it meant. What James essentially meant was she was getting on her knees to get down to business. Wasn't even maybe thinking about kind of the fact that she's, you know, celebrating the fact that she has knees. Maybe, maybe Hank has had knee replacements and she's just showing off. I don't know. 
you've sent this podcast on a completely <laughs> weird, weird tangent, James. We're talking about Michelle Pfeiffer. And we're talking about we're talking about kind of the characters in the ensemble here. One character that is pure fan service. Well, it'll be interesting to see what you think about this because I don't know if it is. Fa- it's kind of twisted fan service. It's probably for me going to be up there with what the MCU did originally with the. I always get this wrong. Not the Mandalorian, but the Mandarin what they originally did with that character, which I never had an issue with in Iron Man 3. I thought it was quite clever. I knew a couple of Marvel fans. They were very annoyed. They were very, very cross at Kevin Feige and co and Robert Downey Jr. And that kid that's in Iron Man 3, they're really pissed off with him about what what they did with the Mandarin. But now we have MODOK in the MCU. But it's, of course, Darren from the first one who was Yellow Jacket. Yeah. There we go. I sound like a proper MCU <laughs> person. He was Yellow Jacket in the first Iron Man. He was kind of destroyed, we thought, by by Scott in the first film. But he was sent to the Quantum Realm. And he's been transformed into MODOK. Which is different from the comic book origins. I know that. I know a lot of people at the screen and I was at. They find his character hilarious. No, I don't know whether this is the twisted thing. I think there was a definite mix of because you you can't. You, what can you do with that character? What really? I mean, I actually. Thought, I mean, I love the kind of the animated series, kind of stop motion series. I thought that was part of the MCU, but it wasn't. So I think that was about the time of the merger, and then it kind of got canned after one series. I think it's Pat Oswald did the voice. Have you seen it? No, I don't think I have. it's a lot of fun. It's just kind of, it's quite robot chicken-esque. So I always thought that that was going to be the way they were going to bring MODOK into the series, into the MCU. How wrong was I? So he's in now. We have Corey Stoll. He's back playing Darren Cross. And it's an interesting choice of how they've chose to represent that character. As I said, they've twisted his comic book origins to suit his return. It kind of makes sense. Kind of. But I don't know, and I know in the last couple of pods we've done a few render specials and we were talking to some visual effects artists. As I said, there was a lot of laughter at the screen and I was at. I don't know, but I've afraid a lot of people were laughing at what they saw on screen rather than laughing at the gags. I mean, he, you know, Koistral, he does get some great lines near the end. It's like, I'm glad to die an Avenger. You're always my dearest friend. I always thought we were like brothers, Scott. <laughs> that was quite funny, and it's an embracing the kind of the sheer lunacy of that character. But I don't know. It didn't bother me because I kind of know what Modoc looks like. But for you, I mean, how do you find that on screen? Um, oh, it's never good when someone goes. <clears throat> <laughs> Let me just clear my hey, listeners. He's also stretching his arms. <laughs> yeah, I am not. He's touching his knees. <laughs> What's uh, what's your take on Modoc? Um, yeah, I thought it was great. I just probably would have preferred if he didn't lift up the helmet. <laughs> that's that's what kind of got me. I was like, okay, and I like I know the I know what the character looks like, so I know it's just a big giant head, mm-hmm. baby arms and legs. Like I know that, but at least for the actual origin of him, you know. You, yeah, they did it well in order to fit the film, you know, and that he was... So it didn't bother you in that sense of, again, and the only other example I can really think of, and I'm sure there's been more subtle references or subtle changes over the over the years with the MCU, 
the the only one I can really think of as being as, as changing as much of a character is the Mandarin in Iron Man three, which I know then they retconned. See, they are fucking retconning the noise me. They retconned that in Shang Chi. Yeah, well, he's he's still like he's in Shang Chi. Yes, but it's, but it's, it's, it's Trevor. It's, yeah. it's Trevor, and it's like, oh, that was just a front to kind of that we use. We hired this guy. We hired the actor to do this, that, and other. But there is a real Mandarin. Yeah, because they did. Then they do like a. It was like a Marvel one shot, which is brilliant. Yeah, which yeah. I, I've, I've never seen, but I just know they did the one shot of like the actual Mandarin. Who, Hail to the King, I think it is, or yeah, something along that line. Who was like really pissed off that he was like, yeah. he'd been made a mockery of. But again, what have they done with that? Nothing. They've just been like, okay, yeah, that's canon, but also, well, I mean, never going to touch that it's again. It's that sense. I mean, more, I, mean I, I criticize retconning, but at the same time, Marvel have been quite clever in that sense of of what they've done in the past. Like in the is it in Thor where we see the Infinity Gauntlet, yeah. And then is it in Thor three, where Kate Blanche's character is going through the vault and she sees the Infinity Gauntlet? And she's like, "Well, that's a fake." Boom! It's like, yeah. okay, I've always liked that. And it's the same with Shang Chi, where Marvel said, "Right, okay, you had issues with this. We addressed it at the time. We're going to further address it." So. Fear not, Marvel fans. The Mandarin is real, and he's up to his fiendish no good. He's yeah. up to fiendish things. That would have to be a Shang-Chi sequel, surely. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully we will see a Shang-Chi. I think a Shang-Chi sequel has already been greenlit. Yeah, it has, yeah. Yeah. But, again, it's, it's, I, I know there will probably be some Marvel fans. Let me just put my microphone down here. I know what they're going to do as soon as they've seen this film. That is not how Modoc came to be. He was never that character. I am so annoyed. Fuck you, Marvel. Exclamation mark. Hashtag Marvel or Nazis. Right, that's exactly what's going to happen. Right, that's what's going to happen. It, because, I mean, I'm familiar with the character, not so much in the comic book pages. I, I know, I mean, I know who he is. I, I think they've, they've just changed who that character is. I don't know about the visual effects. Yeah, it's... But, You've got a character that has a giant head, baby legs. He floats. How much can you do? Had they kept him behind the mask? I don't know. Then you probably had fans going, well, Modoc does not always wear a mask. Why is that? Why can we not see his face? Hashtag Marvel or Nazis. Modoc right. has been misrepresented. Yes. <laughs> that, that's what you'd have got. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the fact that his character looks like, do you know when I was watching it? It's only because I've been replaying it recently. Remember, maybe this is going to be me showing my age. Goldeneye? Yes. You know the Goldeneye, the faces, the way that the faces are done in Goldeneye? Yeah. That's what that looked like. <laughs> that's what he looked like to me. It's like they've done, it's the old days of movie, of video games, when they kind of took someone's face and then they, they kind of stretched it. I don't know, if, I don't know if it works. I don't know if it works, but it didn't annoy me. No, it didn't annoy me either, but I didn't. I don't think it works. Like it's just, it is laughable. Like as mm -hmm. soon as we saw it, we were all like, okay. But I, I also come back to what really can you do with that character? Just not have him in the film. <laughs> I can't. Like I, I never knew. It's fans. Was... It, I mean, it, it's it's fan service. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. But this has been a real example for me. If I'm honest, and come back to what you just said, fan service for fan service sake. Is that sense like okay, you know, for many years we've had people going, dear Marvel. Why can't we have Modoc in the MCU? I think it would be great, please. Hashtag Marvel is great. <laughs> That's the same person, by the way, then after he watches <laughs> this film, he's like, Marvel, Marvel Nazis. Nazis, right? 
So I, I get that that's what they've done. And it reminds me, maybe in a, maybe to an extent, of something like uh, Spider-Man 3, when Sam Raimi didn't want to have Venom in the movie, and producers basically said, it's the kids, the kids love Venom. We've got to have Venom in the movie. Get him in. And it's so half-hearted how he's thrown in. And just, he, oh. he causes problems to the whole narrative and makes it clunky and messy. That's not the case here. I will say that. It's not the case here where it's not too clunky. But as you see, you could have probably done without that character. Yeah, and let's not go with Venom and Spider-Man 3. <laughs> like, that is some of the most cringiest lines of dialogue. My spider sense is tingling, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Want to have a bad word said about Spider-Man 3 apart from Venom? Yeah, no, apart from Venom. Yeah. It's fine. No, it's good. Mm-hmm. I like it, yeah. Tobey Maguire, like, is Just the dance Spider-Man. sequence alone is, is <laughs> shocked and hard. And it's I was that person who went... Marvel or Nazis? Why was Tobey Maguire not? Why why was he not not nominated for uh, an Oscar for that performance? For best original dance. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Oscar so white. <laughs> so that's why. There's a reference for the kids. Okay. I feel I've allowed myself to digress too much. Uh, we were talking about Michelle Pfeiffer, talking about her. I mean, I, I think it's great that they have opened it up. I I still think. Evangeline Lilly isn't given that much to do. I mean, let's be honest, the most memorable thing about the film with her is the fact she has a new haircut. And I, I, that shouldn't be... They they even address that. They even raise that. It's like when Darren's dying, spoiler, hashtag, it's the sense that, it's like, oh, you have a new haircut. And you're like, for fuck's sake, it's like, give, give her... I mean, she's a great actor. Give her something to do. I heard her talking recently that she would love to see, like, a Wasp movie on its own. Hell yeah. Yeah, but what would you see? I don't know enough about Wasp's, like, character and as a whole, because, again, I don't read the comic books on that. Where would you go with that, though? Like, what would you kind of, like, who would be the villain in that? I don't know. I mean, I'm not paid the big bucks. <laughs> but, I, I mean, Rainstorm. coming back to, I mean, you could very easily do a Wasp movie where it's going back to the kind of idea of the first Ant-Man, where it's essentially a heist movie or something along that it's that sense that i know ant-man and the wasp suffered from that because i quite re-watching it i quite like the fact that it doesn't really have a big big bad i know we will see the the character of ghost back in thunderbolts next year i'm not quite sure when that film i think yeah, it is it's going to yes. be out next next year because yeah. it's going to be guardians then you're going to have the marvels and then you'll be leading into next year as well but um i like the fact that ant-man and the wasp didn't really have a big bad so you, I think you could quite easily do a Wasp movie on its own. I mean, Janet's character, I mean, the limited knowledge I have of of the Marvel comics is Janet's importance within the early stages of the finding of the Avengers is as much as Hank. She's almost kind of even more powerful or has more a bigger role than Hank in the early stages of the comics. So I don't know. I mean, that's a criticism for me. She... I love her as a performer, I mean, from the days of Lost, and I was great to see. I mean, I, I think she's she's great. She holds her own on screen. I just wish she was given a little bit more screen time, and they've addressed that to an extent with giving Michelle Pfeiffer's character much more screen time. I wish she was given a little bit more to do. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, I, I would agree with you, because, again, she's just sort of, like, there. It's just kind of, like, filling up a space. It's not really... You don't really see much of her in this film. You know, and... And because it's trying to follow five main protagonists, you know, you'll be like, Scott and Cassie, 
It was free. Yeah, you, you're going to have that problem. I mean, it is a it's a almost a little Marvel movie, an Avengers movie in its own right, in the sense that you have the original Wasp, you've got the new Wasp, Ant-Man. Hank, as I say, isn't given as much to do this time. And then you've mentioned, we haven't even mentioned Cassie. Yeah. In this film, as well. she's now got, she's got her own suit. She's gone a bit like Scott. She's um, she's getting in drills. She's getting in jail. She's getting into trouble. But she's someone who has a cause. She's someone who believes in things. We haven't even mentioned Scott's book. <laughs> Sorry. We haven't even mentioned Scott's book, which I believe is actually getting released on audiobook or maybe extracts of it. I think that's a brilliant piece of marketing that's in brilliant. its own right. We haven't you know, always look out for the little guy. Wink. But I think Cassie, I'm going to actually, on that note, the trailers make this out and they play, whether that's Marvel, probably is marketing men and, and women know what they're doing. They make it much more of that this is Scott having, I hate it with the Marvels, daddy issues. Now, he's not having daddy issues with his own parents, but he was, the, the trailer, when you look at it, makes it out that he's having this sense of, he lost so many years with his daughter that through the blip, I think is what they call it, yeah. um, and being stuck in the quantum realm, and now it's a whole different person playing his little peanut. <laughs> yeah. But that's not in the film at all. I mean, I mean, if you were going, I'm not saying, like, I'm not going to be the person going, I was led to believe in the trailer that uh, Scott Lang had daddy issues and was very upset that he missed so many years of his daughter's growing of his daughter growing up because of the blip. But that was not in the movie. Hashtag Marvel or Nazis. Yeah. I was trying to think of something else. Hashtag Marvel is Putin. Okay? So I I, I I mean, we've talked about this. Market men and women will lie to get you to buy your cinema ticket. That's if you go into this film expecting that, you're not that's not there. I mean, he doesn't seem to have there's that sense of reservation and lost time of having lost so many birthdays and so many years of watching his daughter growing up. But he's not missing his... his. I mean, he's glad to be back with his daughter, but he's not... He doesn't seem... He definitely doesn't seem to be having daddy issues, which is such a big, boring trope that Marvel have, I think, probably knowingly now played to death. Yeah. <laughs> so many years of missing his daughter, she became an entirely different actor. <laughs> she did yeah which i which i, I know I, I always kind of found the way that that happened was a wee bit harsh um because wasn't it the the girl who played his daughter like in endgame when he comes back mm -hmm. um was like found out the same day that Catherine newton like was just offered the job <laughs> it's like oh yeah okay so we don't want you anymore but Catherine newton here come on in and come on down <laughs> Catherine newton. i think and i, I will say this i think Catherine newton is is great. Oh yeah, yeah. I love her as an actress. I think an she's actress, an an upgrade from the previous, yeah. and I, I don't mean that in a blunt way. But she it just she is. She's an upgrade on the performer that was in. But it's a very different role. Yeah, it's a very different role. I know, like we've seen like in stuff, some like in Happy Valley, where they've had a young actor hired for years and then waited for that actor to get old enough to be able to tackle the subject matter because. Excuse the, the name of the, the series, but Happy Valley is not very happy, James. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but it's not a very happy series. It I is a very doom and gloom. But they got very lucky with the casting there. I think the actress, the, sorry, the actor that's in Ant-Man and Ant-Man the Wasp, she's great because she's given that role. She's been, she's the cute kid. That's essentially it. 
and Scott's motivation for trying to, you know, not be a con and kind of get himself on the right path and his motivation for almost becoming an Avenger for someone that she has to look up to. It's a different role now, now that we have Catherine Newton in that role. It's a different type of role now that we have Catherine Newton playing the character and I think it works. It's it's not an issue for me. And I think she's, she's I mean, again, she's, she's still almost playing, I mean, she's not given a lot to do in a lot of parts of the film where she's literally just she has to be saved or she's been held hostage but she does she she gets her her moments to shine at the end she gets big Ant-Man gets big and she gets hungry <laughs> yeah she does as Scott said before he slept for three days after he went big was it over 60 feet in Civil War yeah. <laughs> but look yeah I mean I, I mean, we haven't really talked about Catherine Newton I think she's great in that role I think Again, it's a limited role, but you kind of hit the nail on the head. When you have five characters, someone's going to suffer. Having five characters is such a big ensemble, you know, and especially these aren't just, you know, actors that are, you know, it's kind of a wee side character here. No, no, no they, you know, you have like Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> Catherine Newton, you know, like these, these are all major, major characters, you know. Sorry. Major performers, they're not going to come back. Yes, there will be actors who will come up and quite happily pick up a paycheck. Yeah. But I get a sense, like someone like Michelle Michelle Pfeiffer, it seems like if I'm going to, pardon me, you get a sense maybe with Michelle Pfeiffer has said, if I'm going to come back, I want something to do. Absolutely. And yeah. they've done that. Yeah. You would hope, I mean, it's not that Evangeline Lilly sits on her arse throughout the entire film and no. does fuck all. It's just that it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, but she's not given... I mean, it's not equal balance no. in the film. You could have just literally called this Ant-Man Quantumania and you would have got the same effect. Yeah. You know, Ant-Man, well, like Ant-Man Because I know Marvel made the whole big thing, as Marvel do. I think, isn't she the first female superhero to have her title in the credits? Yes. I they, I, I, I have the ringing in, in the back of my head, that being a fanfare that Marvel, MC, MC, that the MCU were very big to... Yeah. To go off on saying, this is the first ever female superhero in the credits of, a MC, of an MCU movie. You're, okay. But as we've both said, very easily could have been just called Ant-Man 2. Yeah. Ant-Man 2, featuring the Wasp. Yeah. And this could have been very easily Ant-Man Quantumania. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. And again, not taken away from Evangeline Lilly in the slightest. But yeah, it's like... No, it's, she, she's, she does the best with what, she does the best with what she's given. Yeah, it's exactly, just that yeah. she's not given Very much. an awful lot really to do. No. She's given stuff to do on screen, but it's the sense that the plot moves along by Ant-Man's actions, not by hers. Yeah. Yes, okay, she saves Scott near the end. But it's like, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that's a big plot point and I'm not being flippant, but it's like, you could have done more with that character. Absolutely. And I think I come back to this point, and very rarely do I say it, I think the film should have maybe been slightly longer. It's about two hours. Yeah, it's just, just about like two hours. So the, two, the first hour is a lot of setup. As I say, it's a lot of getting your chess pieces into place, and then it's a lot of like, well, now we've kind of got to explain Kang, and they do that with a bit of retconning, do that with a bit of kind of the characters they meet within the quantum realm. And then the second half is essentially just, and I come back to that point, standard Marvel stuff. Crash, bang, wallop, rinse, repeat. 
as I said, my interest peaked a little bit at the end. Was like, oh, are you going to do that? Are you going to have the stones to come back to what you said earlier on? Are you going to have the stones to do to do that to to off Ant Man? Like I'm the person who has said repeatedly, like in Guardians of the Galaxy, if anything happens to Mantis, we riot. Any other car, every any other character within the MCU can be minced, blipped, destroyed by Kang. If anyone touches Mantis, we riot. You may get your wish in uh, <clears throat> pardon me, in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three then for certain characters to be rinsed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I think that's alluded to that. I think. Yeah, in the as long as it's not Mantis. No, I don't think it's Mantis. I think it'll be Rocket and Drax. We'll have to wait probably. and see. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Definitely Rocket, I think. Shh. Don't talk about that. No, you know what I mean? I like Rocket, but you know. Well, but yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, just, I'm giving forewarning. I know, I'm just saying, but uh, yeah, as long as Mantis is safe, that's my thing. But I think it would have been a really, what a way to fucking start Phase 5 this could have been. Yeah. Had you offed Ant-Man, it's that, and it's that great line that he delivers and it's in the trailer it's like I don't have to win you just don't have to you just have to lose yeah. or something like that something like that it's like okay and he's literally getting this shite kicked out of him you're like okay brilliant and then it's like oh we we sorted it it's okay yeah. it's all good it takes me back to <clears throat> pardon me sorry the uh, in the fight in uh, Civil War between Iron Man and Captain America like that's kind of the first sort of real time in the MCU, you see those two characters mm-hmm. take each other to the limit and literally beat the shite clean out of each other. And at one point you see Iron Man on the ground and you're like, you know, and you see the shield come up and you're like, oh shit, it's like, is he actually going to do this? And well, yeah, we all know what happens. He doesn't, he kind of, you know, takes out his yeah. reactor core and whatnot. So he doesn't die, but he leaves him in a pretty bad state. But again, they, you know, for a split second, you're like, here, are they going to have the balls to do this? Even though you kind of knew you had to be I think that I know, I know, I'm, and that was in my head in that sequence. Like, okay, this is up there for me. Yeah. With that, I mean, what a way to introduce Kang! What a way to give Scott a swan song, and we know it cannot. We know that Scott Lang can reappear because we have the multiverse. Other variants I mean there's always the possibility Tony could come back. I know a lot of people have alluded to that. I think some people did think that Tony was going to be in Doctor Strange. Yeah. There was rumours of that, and that would make sense. Yeah. There was a lot of talk for a little while that Chris Evans might be coming back as well. I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't write the Marvel movies, apologies. But, and it's not that, I mean, I love Paul Rudd. I genuinely love Paul Rudd. He is just the everyman, the actor. I think he doesn't get credit for as good an actor as he is sometimes. But he's been, a, for a lot of people, a great kind of, the great everyman of the Avengers and a great way to kind of get on board. But this is his moment, and I think it's just a little... That's that sense of, like... It's a little bit underwhelming in the finale, in a sense, it's like, right, okay, everything's back to as it was before, but we know that, like, well, Kang has warned that more of... More Kangs are going to come, and they're going to be worse than me, than what you've seen before. And it's that... Because it's that narration at the start. It's bookended by two narrations. We have the start. Thank you, Spider-Man! And then... <laughs> you're the other... Sp- you're the other insect man. That... And then it's like... Oh... What if I didn't do? What if I made things worse? What if I've doomed everybody? And you're like... Okay, where are you going to go? And then it's like... A, I eat a really shitty cake. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It's like... I wish they had have done... More with that. Like I... Like I get... You know... Like Scott Line is just kind of oh happy go lucky, oh you know we save the day, oh we'll laugh it off, we'll 
worry about it tomorrow when we get to that. But it's, I don't know. I I don't think you could have done that. That that's kind of probably my only little tiny thing that I didn't like about the film was that, you know, at the very end, it's just like, oh yeah, you know, we beat the big space alien, blah blah. blah. And it's like, but didn't he say there were more of him? Oh yeah, like you know, shit. What what if he comes back? But oh, I'll be fine. I was like, I'm pretty sure if I just done that and I was warned that there were more of them. I wouldn't just be continuing about daily life. I'd be trying to get in contact with everybody and being like, hey, do, you know, do you know, actually, just, you've put it into my head now. Wouldn't it have been great if the film just ended there? Just at that point, rather than the little kind of... that that See that little bit of, like, the birthday? It's like, it's not my birthday. It's like, I know, but I miss so many birthdays. It's like, that would have, that would have been the old Marvel, like, the second post-credit. Yeah. That's that's where that... that I think, if I was going... Not that I not, and it's not that I want Paul Rudd dead. I will say this though, listeners, this is the first film I have seen where I think to myself, Paul Rudd is finally starting to age. <laughs> I mean, the man has a picture of Dorian Gray somewhere in an attic. He hasn't aged for so many years. You I mean you don't need digital de aging? Just get his blood. That's what you need, right, Marvel? <laughs> but particular, I know he's been through a hell and back with Kang but like in the close-ups near the end it's like I said to my wife it's like Paul Rudd's starting to get old yeah happens to all of us some of us improve with age some of us are just go very quickly downhill a bit like myself but Paul Rudd's starting to age but I think just when you mentioned that to my head it's like didn't didn't he mention there was going to be more boom fade to black have the credits go boom that would have been great yeah Although I also think it would have been great have had he sacrificed himself. Yeah. What a way to start. What a way to really kind of kickstart and rejuvenate MCU instead of playing something that ultimately plays it a little safe. I come back to my point. I said at the very start, it felt safe. Yeah. Well, because it is. Because it ultimately is safe. You, know, like you said it, and but you're right. You know, it's, yeah, all the heroes live to fight another day. Everybody lives happily ever after. For now. Yeah, for now. For now. <laughs> I know I did think for a little while, it's like, oh, because we have, well, I mean, there's another thing of Angelina Lilly's character. She comes back and she saves Scott from yeah. getting his ultimate shite kicked out of him one last time. I did think, oh, are they going to be trapped there in the quantum realm? And I was thinking then back to Shang-Chi when you've got, oh, they find this weird signal. Funny you say I, that, I was kind of thinking, yeah. it's, like, it's like, oh, is that maybe what they're going to do? And then says, no. Yeah. Oh, the daughter's fixed it. Yeah, we said the exact same thing. We all kind of sat there and was like, yeah, because they've never really touched on that again either. You know, no. they're saying that, oh, here's the signal. And then we all kind of thought, we we're like, oh, here, two and two together, the signal. Oh, and it's like, oh, no, never mind. Because them super ants, they, can, they could do stuff. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if you had them, like, to yourself? No, I don't like ants. Already, I but I mean, just think of all the, the only movie. aunt I've ever wept for, apart from Anthony in the first Ant Man, RIP, hashtag gone too soon. Uh, it's the aunt in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> that is an aunt, that is a hero amongst aunts. He's up there, not Anthony's not quite at his level, but my god, that aunt, I wept for that aunt. You're just that. you're just gonna leave out ants like the 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 Woody, the Woody Al, the Woody Harrelson, not the Woody, the Woody Allen one. No, the, the Pixar one. Ah, that's... fuck that. No. Ouch. Nah. What? That's, give, a, that's a great film. Give me a hero in that ant, in that ant movie. But that's the thing. That's meant to be a kid's film and there is no heroes. There's heroes in kids' movies. 
No, but not not filming their anti-heroes. <laughs> Dear Banterflix, why was James Oliver making ant-related puns and ant-related jokes, especially after making his obscene reference about knees? Hashtag. I can't really say hashtag. Ha- Oliver is a Nazi. No, hashtag cancel. <laughs> cancel James. Hashtag James is cancelled. Hashtag Banderflix is cancelled. You're like, no, don't do that. But anyway, look, uh, I think we've talked quite a bit about the movie. I think I'm I'm down about it because I think I'm more disappointed. And it's that thing of, oh, marketing people, you've done it again. You've got me excited about something and saying, right, okay, this might be the film that might bring me back on board with the MCU and it's just fine it's just perfectly fine it's perfectly serviceable I think it's interesting to see where they go with John Major's character where they go where they go with John Major's and Kang we know because of the fact that Marvel released so many movies movies ahead we know he's going to be back we know the variants are going to be back but uh yeah, I think it's fine, but, you know, your closing thoughts, you know, Atman, I mean, this is the whole idea. This podcast, as I said, it's a post-pub discussion. My criticism is of the film, and it's probably damning quite softly. The name of this podcast is More Than Pixels on a Screen. We look for kind of, oh, the meanings and kind of like why it's much more important to people. I know the MCU is important to people. I'm not going to put that, but I'm not going to try and say, oh, MCU is not cinematic. I'm not going to go full Scorsese. But for me, that film was just pixels on a screen. It's there. It had a start. It had a middle. It had an end. And there was a post-credits. And it's fine. And I'll go and watch Guardians of the Galaxy in a couple of months. And that's be fine. And that'll be the film I'll go, right, is this going to be the one that's going to be getting me back on board and pumped for the MCU? Hopefully. Hopefully. If it's not, it'll be maybe the Marvels will. Maybe Thunderbolts will. It's just, it's fine. That's, stick that on the poster. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, it's fine. Jim McLean, Banderflix. That's that's my ultimate thoughts on the film. Your final thoughts before we go? Final thoughts that it's, I find it very entertaining. It's very enjoyable. Um, so yeah, what? It's... So what's the tagline for you? What's the, 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 the line that's going, James Oliver, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania? I suppose if I had to put my own tagline on it would be, already knew this was happening. Because it does, it introduces Kang, but we already knew that. We'd known for months Kang is going to be the big bad. So, I'm not saying that's a bad thing about it. I'm saying it's good we finally got to see Jonathan Majors. But yeah, it's, you know, it does exactly what I think what I called it... him John Majors earlier. I just, I just went <laughs> full just, shorthand. Yeah, it does exactly what it says in the tin. Yeah. Okay. You want Kang, you got him. That's a really long tagline, though. I mean, you're going to have to get it in really small right. font, James. Okay, um... We all knew. <laughs> okay. We all knew. We all knew. <laughs> We did. We, we all knew. There we go. Okay, so that's that. But anyway, I'm going to leave you before we go, because we're talking about Ant-Man. Do you want some cool facts about ants? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go okay, so here's number one. There are over 12,000 ant species worldwide. Oh, okay. Did you know that? I did not know that, no. The bullet ant is said to have the most painful sting in the world. Oh. There we go. Fire ants cause over three billion pounds worth of damage a year. Wow. Listeners, James Oliver's draw jaw just dropped. I'm not even making a reference to knees. <laughs> ants are the longest living insects. What? The ant is one of the world's strongest creatures in relation to its size. I knew that one. 
Ants hold the record for the fastest movement in the animal kingdom. Ants can be found on every single continent except... Asia? <laughs> Antarctica. Okay. <laughs> ants are social insects which live in colonies. I knew that one. Ants don't have ears and some of them don't have eyes. Or knees. <laughs> or knees, I was actually going to say that, yeah. And then finally, 10. That largest ant's nest ever found was over 3,000, 7,000 miles wide. Listeners, Whoa. James Oliver's jaw just hit the floor. Every day is a school day, especially when it's on more than pixels on a screen. So that's all from us this week. So all I'll do before we go is thank my guest. Thank you very much, James Oliver. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much to Aaron Flanagan from the comic book guys as well. That's all from us now. We'll be back next week with another episode. But for now, until then, goodbye. As we've alluded to earlier on, um, if Marvel can have post-credit stings, we can have post-credit stings. So we're going to talk about the post-credits in Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. James, how'd you rate them? Yeah, good, really good. Um, kind of sets up, you know, further down the road sort of stuff. Yeah, I think I mentioned this earlier on the pod that there's not the jokey one no. that we've come to expect from from Marvel. I mean, they've at the start, I think they did treat the post-credits as much more serious and gravitas and, and pushing the MCU forward. But now what they're starting to do is seems to be like the mid credits thing is that's the one you've really got to stay for, kids. That's going to help us kind of go forward. And then the second one will be like Captain America going, are you guys still here? It's over. Or in the case of is it Ant-Man and the Wasp, where the, the ant is just drumming on the drums. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. We don't see that here. So let's go for, through the first one. So in the first one, we see the Council of Kangs, three variants, yeah. who I know that you've mentioned one of them before, who was Ramatut. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have him, and then we have the other ones, and they're referring to Kang the Conqueror, I think, as the exiled one. Yeah. Because, of course, he's exiled. We know that from watching the film. And there's an awful lot of Jonathan Majors about the place. Some shit ton of Jonathan Majors. <laughs> So I, I mean, it's interesting see, because I don't really know Kang that well. Like, I don't have his phone number, don't have his email address. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm kind of interested to see because I have read. I think Kang the Conqueror is going to be the big bad. Yeah, but it's what rope. This is what this this post credit thing is like. What's this going to set up? Because I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of you. I was talking. We were talking earlier on about Kang being an interesting villain, how he compares to Thanos. I mean, that to me is interesting in the sense of, are we going to, instead of seeing one person, the, the aforementioned conquer, all of the, I mean, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Like the Avengers taking on all, every single variant of Kang is interesting. I think that's sort of what it, well, to me, that's what I would get that it's alluding to because Kang is, will you hear this, everything, everywhere. All at once. Oh, see what he <laughs> see did? What there? He has been thinking about that the whole way through this podcast. <laughs> Only about the last half hour. <laughs> First half hour was, how can I get a reference to knees in? <laughs> Second one is all about, oh, how can I get a pun about everything everywhere all at once? Well, I, my, you know, dear Banderflix, <laughs> James Oliver's joke was actually quite witty. Hashtag Oliver's not cancelled. Yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I don't know being, I'm into, because Kang the Conqueror is we're being told the villain. And yes. it's, we know that, well, we've, we've talked about the film. He is kind of miniaturized even further. Isn't yeah, I think of... that's sort of, yeah, what they did. They sort of like 
or he's kind of he's sucked into the little multiverse ball that allows him to transverse through the multiverse so clearly that's going to be an interesting plot point it's very kind of what happened to loki yeah in the first one you know not that marvel would repeat themselves but it's kind of similar kind of west like oh where did he go we do not know and then he'll reappear yeah it just kind of pops up but it's this i mean i because i don't know kang that well and i'm not a massive marvel fan i've dabbled mostly with spider-man stuff in that sense of where we go from here in that sense i mean i'm intrigued by the thought of every because every single kang and there's an awful lot of them tackling the avengers is an intriguing concept it's a whole yeah it's a whole like coliseum of them it looks like a coliseum mm-hmm. for like old gladiator style yeah yeah it's um, like he basically did like a gary oldman yeah. and leon is like get me every kang yeah who everyone get me everyone don't know why he talked like that but he talked like that it's like okay um yeah so i'm intrigued with that and then we move to the second credit the second there we move to the second post-credits thing which is essentially setting up loki and i think that's possibly going to be what we're going to see with loki season two you were just saying you haven't seen the first series no but i know how it ends is that they eventually like they encounter well it's not it is kind, but it's not kind. It's an entirely different iteration of him. Mm-hmm. It goes by the name of He Who Remains or the One That Remains or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And then I know that Loki returns back to the like that timeline, but it's the wrong one because there's a big, massive statue of kind that's like yeah. you know stood up in the middle of the foyer. So I know I know how it ends. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I actually find that really good. Like I thought that was really cool because that's the first time I think ever that an MCU film has actually tied into one of their tv shows mm-hmm. which is yeah i find it really good i think the nods have been more subtle and the yeah past. they've never been like that direct as in here's but clearly the people are on brand yeah because they, they have said marvel are going to do less tv shows which i i i have to agree with i think that's a good idea because see trying to keep up with everything and you know here's one episode of this but then for all you know that film's like this week and then you've still got another six seven weeks of a tv show it is quite confusing i I've had a hit and miss ratio with the 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 the, the Disney Plus content essentially the the small screen stuff. I've quite liked the episodes that, or the shows that have been more episodic, in the sense of like I really enjoyed She Hulk. I noticed a lot of people did not like She Hulk. I love the fact that it was true to the character we've seen in the comics, and it was much more like right, okay, here we go. This episode, that episode, there is ultimate thread between them, but you could just dip in and out of the episodes. Yeah. Some of them have felt like just a movie spread over six, seven hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is like you could probably edit like uh, in the the Captain America series or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. For me, was like right, you could have cut this down to a movie, and it's interesting that they're then making the next Captain America movie with those characters yeah. as a, as a movie as opposed to a series. Yeah, I'm interested to see where that one goes because I find that to be the dullest. I love WandaVision. Yeah. But yeah, as you said, this is this is definitely teeing up Loki. I like Loki because it was basically Marvel doing Doctor Who. And in the previous one, it was they were all hunting variants. This, I think, is setting up possibly that they're going to be hunting for variants of oh, Kang. Kind, yeah. So I think this is, is it Victor Timely? He's kind of yeah, uh, doing a kind of magic show in front of them. And it's just the sheer fear on Tom Hiddleston's face. Yeah. And then we have, <clears throat> wow. <laughs> wow, I can't do a very good... Uh, I can't do it just as much. Wow. Wow. 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> Just think of, uh, I'm trying to sell sofas, listeners. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, Owen Wilson. We have Owen Wilson's character. I think it's uh, Mobius. Mobius. I, yeah. Uh, not to be confused with Morbius. <laughs> but Owen Wilson's character is totally confused. He has no way to say, I thought you said he was terrifying. It's yeah. Like, it's like, and it's like, it cuts back to Tom Hiddleston's face and it's like, yes. Yeah. And you're like, Yes. Yeah, I love that, yeah. It's just Tom Hiddleston's a fantastic actor. So, like, mm-hmm. the way he just, with that, like, not even a minute of, like, screen time, just portrays sheer fear, because it's like, you know, it's like he knows of him. Yeah. And like you say, you know, Owen Wilson's like, oh, you know, like, what you said, this guy was, like, terrifying. It's like, look at him. And Donald's just like, no, he is. Yeah. Like, you're, we should all be very afraid. I have shat my pants while I've been standing here. Yeah. You do, could you could believe that. Do you know what I was sort of thinking of, though? We were talking about afterwards last night, the... So, you know, the original Avenger team, right? You know, Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, Black Widow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Take it or leave it, right? A whole if kind dynasty is going the route of the Avengers or the new Avengers take on mm-hmm. all of the kinds. <laughs> that sounds like a really bad TV show. The Kangs. Yeah, the Kangs. It's like the Kardashians, except Believe the it or not. <laughs> do, 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 the ca- oh, sorry, I'll not do that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, when you think about it, they're gonna get their asses whooped. <laughs> like, if you like, you don't really have anyone that's got the star power of like any of the originals no more. You ha- like, don't get me wrong, you've interesting characters, definitely. But like, you put them together as a team, kind of just flick them and they'll all be dead. Like you've Yelena, uh, Black Widow's sister. You've Kate Bishop, mm-hmm. um, uh, Sam, who's now Captain America, um. I don't even know who else is going to be. In well, the there's, there's lineup, it's, but... it's the, you've got. I suppose you've got like the because it's now set up like the whole inhuman thing, yeah. and you have the Eternals as well, and Harry Styles. Let's not talk about that too much. Again, Har- hasn't been heard from Thanos's brother, and he's just where is he? <laughs> well, he's been winning awards at the Grammys and stuff. He's a busy guy. He's you know the new David <laughs> Bowie, if you believe everything. Jesus, but. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a. It's coming back to like the phase four, and I know this is a post-credits thing. It's turned into a little podcast in its own right, but that sense of phase four was all about introducing new characters, and Charlie Theron shows up at the end of Multiverse of Multiverse Madness. Madness. Yeah. So it's they've introduced these characters. Now phase five has to be like right. You've introduced. You've got all your pieces on the chessboard. Do something with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and. You know now what they're going to do and what they're aiming to with Phase 5 with this film. It's just that I wish this film had been braver in how it started out. But look, we're repeating ourselves. The yeah. I think, how do we rate... I mean, that's a nice way to finish this. Yeah. How do we rate the post-credits? You uh, haven't seen Loki, so no, I mean... But it's clear, has it intrigued you and tempted you to sit back and watch the series? Yeah, I would go back and watch it, definitely, yeah. Um, for both post-credits, I, I'd give it a good 8. You know, 10. Yeah. Okay, so there we go. Eight out of ten. Uh, that's eight knees out of ten for James Oliver. And uh, yeah, I thought they were pretty good, worthwhile sitting around because there's nothing worse than sitting through all those credits. And it's an ant drumming. <laughs> as funny as it is, I can watch that three days later on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. When it's like a late screening. But anyway, that's all from us. Uh, we'll be back soon with another episode. But for now, until then, goodbye. Bye.